Okay, so we've spoken a lot about Shabbos and uh, the many different facets, uh, 12, 12 classes so far. Um, today's class is actually going to focus a little bit more on Yom Tov. Um, but this class is about Shabbos, so why are we talking about Yom Tov, about the holidays? So we're going to share a very fascinating connection between Shabbos and Yom Tov. Um, so maybe just to, to introduce it, um, we, we know that there are some differences between Shabbos and Yom Tov with regards to what we are permitted to do. So, uh, if you look on the source sheet, the very first source quotes a pasuk, quotes a verse in Parsha's bow. It's talking about the holiday of Pesach, the holiday of Passover, but it's true for other holidays as well. The Torah says, with regards to Pesach, that the first day is Mikra Kodesh, is a holy, is called holy, a holy convocation. And the seventh day, right? So on Pesach, we have a, a day of Yom Tov, of holiday, the first day. And the last day, outside of Israel, each one ends up being two days, but classic by, you know, by Torah law, it's one day at the beginning, one day at the end. And the middle are the intermediary days, Cholamoed. So on those days, the first and the seventh, the Torah says, um, <clears throat> no work may be performed in them, no malacha, right? Um, but there's an exception. But what is eating by any soul, that alone may be performed for you. And this is the main difference between Yom Tov and Shabbos, that on Yom Tov, there are certain melachos that are permitted. Melachos, constructive activities, that are what we call tzorech ochel nefesh. They're required for, um, for food. Um, there's extent, we extend it further than that, but that's basically the, uh, the, where it starts is that nilachos that are involved in the preparation of food are permitted on yomta. Now, it's still important to understand the details of the laws. We're not going to go through that now. Doesn't, so, for example, we still don't kindle a fire on yomtav, but if there's an existing fire, then uh, we can use it, we can cook on it on Yom Tov, as opposed to on Shabbos. On Shabbos, there is no exception like that. There are 39 malachos, they're all included, and one, even if it's to prepare my Shabbos dinner or my Shabbos lunch, I'm not allowed to cook on Shabbos if, uh, you know, certainly something that's not cooked, and uh, even putting something on a flame, even if it is cooked, rabbinically forbidden in, in most cases. So, again, there's this very stark contrast between Yom Tov and Shabbos, which is with regards to this permissibility of, of preparing um, the malachos that are relating to, related to the preparation of our meals. Um, now, <clears throat> what is the reason for this? What is the nature of this difference? Why on Shabbos are they permitted? On Yom Tov, uh, sorry, are they forbidden? But on Shabbos, they are permitted. So we're going to explore a answer that's perhaps on, on a deeper level. Um, you know, on the surface, we might just say, well, you know, Yom Tov is, uh, is, is there's a special focus on the joy and, and, and uh, on the enjoyment. And so it's, we make exceptions like that, but uh, we're going to go a little bit deeper. Now, we know we're allowed to cook on Yom Tov for a Yom Tov meal. What about cooking on Yom Tov 
for a Shabbos meal. Let's say Yom Tov is on a Friday and uh, you want to cook for Shabbos because you're not allowed to cook on Shabbos. So you have to prepare in advance. So you could prepare all the way before Yom Tov. On, but, you know, sometimes you can have uh, two days of Yom Tov. You have uh, Thursday, Friday are Yom Tov. And then, and then yeah, it's followed by a Shabbos. When do you cook for Shabbos? Do you have to cook for Shabbos all the way on, uh, on Wednesday? Or could you cook on Yom Tov for Shabbos? So in Meseches Beitza, in Tract Beitza, the Mishnah teaches us as follows. It's also on the source sheet. That if Yom Tov falls out on Erev Shabbos, Yom Tov falls out on a Friday. So it says, Lo yibashil miyom tov lo Shabbos. You're not allowed to cook if you're just starting out cooking. If, if this is the first thing you're cooking for Shabbos, you're not allowed to start cooking on Yom Tov for Shabbos. But it says you're allowed to cook for Yom Tov. And if there are leftovers, so then you can serve them on Shabbos. But, uh, but you're not allowed to start out cooking on Yom Tov for Shabbos. But then it says that one may prepare a cooked dish before Yom Tov and rely on it for Shabbos. So what does that mean? Is it just telling me that I'm allowed to cook on Wednesday and save it for Shabbos? That seems obvious. So what it's actually telling me is, is that is, is introducing the concept of Eruv Tavshilin. And uh, this is what we're going to be discussing today is, is the Eruv Tavshilin. What is an Eruv Tavshilin? For those who are not familiar, Eruv Tavshilin is exactly this point that even though in general we would say one, should, one is not allowed to cook on Yom Tov for Shabbos, but if they made an Eruv Tavshilin before Yom Tov, so then they're allowed to cook on Yom Tov for Shabbos. What is an Eruv Tavshilin? Literally, the words mean a mixture of, of uh, cooked foods, there's different explanations for why it's called that. We're not going to go into that. But it's the, the basic practical halacha is that one, before Yom Tov, one makes sure to cook something for Shabbos. So you should have a boiled food and a, and a baked food to cover both types of cooking, the, boiled, the foods that are cooked through boiling in water and foods that are cooked dry. And, uh, and you, in a certain sense, you start doing it on Wednesday, if you start preparing for Shabbos on Wednesday or Thursday, depending on the situation, then uh, then that permits you to continue cooking for Shabbos on Yom Tov. That's the air of Tavshion. We'll, we'll see a little bit more. The Gemara continues and it says that Ravashi says the sages did so in deference to the festival so that people will say one may not bake on a festival for Shabbat unless you began to bake the day before. Uh, the more so one may not bake on a festival for a weekday. Um, what Ravashi is saying is, uh, is really best understood if we see the next source. And the next source is a passage in Pesachim, which also talks about the concept of Erev Tavshilin. And there it says that, uh, that we, ha- we have here a debate between Rabbah and Rav Fista, And Rabbah says that, uh, he basically says, what's the story with this Erev Tavshilin? Because you prepare foods on Wednesday for Shabbos. Now all of a sudden you're allowed to cook on Yom Tov for Shabbos. How does this, how does that help you? He says, due to the practice of the joining of cooked foods, due to the practice of Erev Tavshiling, which was instituted by the sages, may one permit a Torah prohibition? Rabbah holds that it's the Torah that prohibits us from cooking on Yom Tov, right? The, 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 the Malachos are, uh, are Torah prohibitions. 
Now you're allowed to cook, the Torah permits us to cook on Yom Tov for Yom Tov. Does the Torah permit us to cook on Yom Tov for Shabbos or to cook on Yom Tov for a different day? No, it's only what I need for Yom Tov that I'm allowed to cook. If I would cook for another day, that would be a biblical um, transgression by Torah law. So, so Rabbah says that, uh, he says, I don't understand this. If the Torah prohibits you from cooking on Yom Tov for another day, then how does a rabbinic enactment of an of Tafshilin help you? The rabbis can't just say, okay, but here's a way you're allowed to violate the Torah prohibition. So Rav Chista said to him, no, 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 you, you got it all wrong. By Torah law, whatever one needs for Shabbat may be done on a festival. He says, really, by Torah law, you are allowed to cook on Yom Tov for Shabbos. You can't cook on Yom Tov for the weekday, but you can cook on Yom Tov for Shabbos, and you can cook on Yom, uh, you, sorry, you can cook on Yom Tov for Yom Tov, and you can cook on Yom Tov for Shabbos. Whatever one needs for Shabbat may be done on a festival. It was the sages who decreed that one may not bake on a festival for Shabbos. Um, why? So it was the sages who said you can't cook from on Yom Tov for Shabbos, lest people say that one may bake on the festival even for during the week. So Rav Chista says that really by Torah law, you are allowed to cook on, Shab- on Yom Tov for Shabbos. Shabbos is of greater holiness than Yom Tov. You're allowed to cook on Yom Tov for Shabbos. But the sages came along and said that you cannot because they were concerned if people started cooking on Yom Tov for Shabbos, they might think that just like I can cook for, for tomorrow on a day where on a week, you know, during a year that Shabbos follows Yom Tov, or they, they might say, oh, you're also allowed to cook on Yom Tov for a weekday. And so the sages said, no cooking on, on Yom Tov for any other day. You can cook on Yom Tov for Yom Tov, but you can't cook on Yom Tov for Shabbos. You can't cook on Yom Tov for a weekday. Um, but he continues, since the sages required an ear of Tafshilin, so then one has a marker. There's a there's a hekera. There's a marker reminding him that baking on the festival for Shabbos is permitted, but baking on the festival for a weekday is prohibited. So, so basically it works like this, that really by Torah law, I, I should be allowed to cook on Yom Tov for Shabbos. The rabbi said, if we, if people are allowed to cook on Yom Tov for Shabbos, they're going to start to think that you can cook on Yom Tov for a weekday. So they said, so the rabbis decreed that you may not cook on Yom Tov for Shabbos unless you make for yourself a reminder. What's the reminder? The Erev Tavshilin. By going through this process of Erev Tavshilin, of starting to cook on uh, for Shabbos before Yom Tov, so that creates like a, a marker that's a reminder that you need to you need to do something unique. You need to do something different to allow you to cook from Yom Tov to Shabbos. But usually you can't cook from Yom Tov to Shabbos um, unless you have this. And this way nobody will get mixed up and think that you're also allowed to cook from Yom Tov to for a weekday. You're only allowed to cook from Yom Tov to Shabbos or on Yom Tov for Yom Tov itself. So this is the nature of Erev Tavshilin. Erev Tavshilin, again, this, the, the Erev Tavshilin literally means like the mixed cooked foods. But what it, what it is, is this, that we start cooking something before, when Yom Tov precedes Shabbos, as long as we start cooking something, not just start cooking, we cook something on the day before Yom Tov, on, uh, you know, on the Wednesday or the Thursday before Yom Tov starts. So, and we, we cook that for Shabbos and we, and we keep it until Shabbos. So we're already like in the process of preparing for Shabbos. That's when we're allowed to cook from Yom Tov to Shabbos, but otherwise we are not allowed to prepare from Yom Tov to Shabbos. And it seems it's a rabbinic 
decree, according to Rav Chista, because we're concerned that if people cook from Yom Tov to Shabbos, they're also going to um, cook from Yom Tov for a weekday, and that is a Torah prohibition. There is the other opinion of Rabbah here. There's a second opinion that, that actually even cooking from Yom Tov to Shabbos is biblically prohibiting. And therefore, an Erev Tavshilin won't even help you. Um, what will help you, according to him, is cooking earlier in the day on Yom Tov, because then you could say, well, I'm really cooking for Yom Tov if there happens to be leftovers for Shabbos. So, uh, you know, because you never know how many guests might show up before Yom Tov is over. So I'm cooking a big meal. I might have a bunch of guests show up. And uh, if they don't, then I'll, you know, then I'll have food for Shabbos. So, uh, so actually, on a practical level, we do take concern for that possibility. And we, and we recommend that people, when they're cooking from Yom Tov to Shabbos, that they only cook earlier in the day. Once it gets later in the day on Friday afternoon, one isn't really supposed to cook for Shabbos anymore. Because at that point, the, you can't really justify, oh, but I'm really doing it for Yom Tov in case guests might show up. And, uh, you know, because it's already later in the day. So, uh, so that's what's recommended. Okay, but what, uh, what we have, again, is this Erev Tavshilin. And, and on a, just a, without getting into so much detail, but on the, you know, on the, to look at it from the outside, we basically have that I'm not allowed to cook on Yom Tov for, to, for Shabbos. I'm allowed to cook on Yom Tov for Yom Tov. I'm not allowed to cook on Yom Tov for Shabbos unless I started preparing for Shabbos before Yom Tov. Okay. So that's the uh, the halachic, uh, the um, practical um, portion. But now let's try to go a little deeper and and and, and understand the the deeper message over here. And what I'm going to share with you is an idea from the Maharal, a tremendous, tremendous what we call a chiddush, a novel, novel idea. It blew me away when I when I saw it. Um, and I hope that it blows you away too, but that you're able to get up off the floor afterwards. Okay, so uh, so we, we started out by introducing this difference between Shabbos and Yom Tov. Shabbos, we cannot cook, we cannot prepare anything. Everything has to be done in advance. On Yom Tov, we're actually allowed to cook our meals on Yom Tov itself. Now, we've discussed the concept when it comes to Shabbos that everything has to be done before Shabbos, right? So... So, and the next source I have here, we have that six days um, you work and you should do kol melach techa, right? You should do all your work. And, uh, and Rashi there quotes the, the idea that, what, what do you mean do all your work? That when Shabbos comes, it should be in your eyes as if all your work is done. Um, and you shouldn't even think about anything else. Doing work, doing, doing constructive activities, doing melacha, it should be in your eyes as if all is done. And one of the ways that we explained what this is about is the concept of Shabbos being me'en olam haba. Shabbos being um, like a taste of the world to come. And that every week we get this reminder that when we get to the world to come, that's it. We're not going to be able to prepare anymore for the world to come. All our preparations have to be done before you get there, before Shabbos. It's in this world. It's during the week, so to speak, while we're here on this earth, that we prepare for the world to come. 
When, but once Shabbos comes, once that world to once we get to the world to come, there's no more preparation. We can't prepare anymore. We're there. That's the 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 destination, and and there's nothing we could do when we get there. It's already uh, it's we've 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 built up, we've created, we've 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 established all that we could to benefit from that great uh, pleasure that we're to experience when we experience God in such an intense way in the, in the world to come. That's Shabbos. So if that's Shabbos, so what's Yom Tov? Yom Tov, we say, it doesn't all have to be done before Yom Tov. On Yom Tov, you're still allowed to, to cook. You're still allowed to make preparations on Yom Tov. You can't prepare everything. You, you, can't, you can't work on Yom Tov. Many, there's, there's still many prohibited melachos, Melechus avoda, the Torah describes it in one place. Melechus, um, constructive activities that are avoda, that are more uh, work-related. But in terms of preparing our, our needs, our food, that we're allowed to do on Yom Tov. So if Shabbos is Olam Habaz, the world to come, so what is Yom Tov? So the Maharal says that Yom Tov is the days of Mashiach. The times of the Messiah, the days of Mashiach. Now you'll know that I said there's something called Olam Haba and there's the world to come and there's something called Mashiach. Now sometimes we interchange those words. We sometimes refer to the days of Mashiach as the world to come. But it's fair to do that in sometimes unless you're comparing the days of Mashiach to the actual world to come. So, uh, so Again, we don't know exactly how everything is going to play out, and different commentaries describe it differently. Um, but the basic idea is that there, you know, there's going to be a, a a Mashiach, a Messiah, a King of Israel who rises up. We'll see some of the details, but that's going to be still in this world. Um, and then after the days of Mashiach, there may be some. Uh, resurrection before the days of Mashiach for certain righteous people, but, but in general, for most people, the resurrection happens after the times of Mashiach. If somebody is not alive when Mashiach comes, then for most people, they're going to miss it. It's not, it's not for everyone. It's only for that, those people who are there. And then after the days of Mashiach, there's a resurrection um, and, uh, and the purification where the, the, the soul is rejoins the body and, uh, and in different stages, there's different, again, different ways Olam Haba is described. But the, the idea of Olam Haba either as a, as a soul alone after the days of Mashiach experiencing God, um, that could be Olam Haba, um, or um, this, this state of affairs where the, uh, this, the, there's a resurrection, all the bodies are purified in a way even more than they were in the days of Mashiach, and... Uh, and uh, the soul kind of dominates at that point. Um, and, uh, and it's in that purified state that we can later experience uh, God in this intense way that we speak about. So there's, there's different parts. I'm, you know, I don't know exactly how it's going to be. Um, I don't know anything about it, but I don't even know. I, I don't even understand all the commentaries that I've seen, well, how they describe it. But, uh, but it's important to know and to just know that that there are various stages and Mashiach comes before Alam Haba. Um, before the the you know the ultimate Alam Haba of, of for, for everyone. 
So, so let's talk a little bit about. So, so the Maharal says that uh, that that Yom Tov is the days of Mashiach, and Shabbos is Olam Haba, is the world to come after the days of Mashiach. So let's talk a bit about what we know about the days of Mashiach, and uh, will help us understand this concept. So, uh, so first of all, we should note that the Rambam Maimonides, when he talks about Mashiach, um, he writes that uh, all these things, we don't know exactly how it's going to be. Um, we find different ideas in the prophets and different ideas in the Gemara and the Talmud, but uh, we don't know exactly. And uh, there's different opinions we find about it. And uh, he says... It's not, you know, the details aren't so important to us right now. And the person shouldn't try to delve too much into it and try to interpret all the statements of the sages regarding it um, because uh, it's not the main thing. And it doesn't help us in our, in our pursuit of, uh, of perfection, of love of God, of fear of God. And, uh, and so the, the focus should not be um, on too many of the details of what much, what's going to happen with Mashiach. But despite that, the Rambam gives us a bit of a description of what the days of Mashiach are going to look like. And uh, I put it on the source sheet. So we're, uh, we're starting here in uh, the Laws of Kings, chapter 11. And the Rambam writes, Maimonides writes, in the future, the Messianic king will arise and renew the Davidic dynasty, restoring it to its initial sovereignty. So the Mashiach is going to be a descendant of King David from that dynasty. He will build the temple, he will build the Beis HaMikdash, and gather the dispersed of Israel. Then in his days, the observance of all the statutes will return to their previous state. He will offer sacrifices, observe the sabbatical and jubilee years, the Shemitah, according to all the particulars as described by the Torah. So we'll be able to live in a state of Torah, of exactly how, how it's supposed to be based on the laws of the Torah will have a temple, will have a base on Mikdash, and we'll be able to observe all the different, all the different commandments. Then in the next chapter, he says, there's a very interesting, it's a very interesting chapter to read through, um, chapter 11 over there, where uh, that's, that's also, I believe, where he says, don't get too involved in it. Um, or is that actually, no, that's actually in chapter 12. Um, he has a bit of a discussion about Christianity in chapter 11, um, where he actually says, you know, God, uh, you know, God guides everything in the world. And you can already see the purpose of, of, of the spread of Christianity, at least one purpose, you know, as much uh, pain and suffering it's caused to the Jewish people over over time. Um, but the uh, but the the, the um, spreading of the idea of, of a Mashiach and the idea of, of, of even of, of a Torah. And, you know, there's, there's, there's this side benefit to it that he thinks was the divine intent of, uh, of, of the spreading Christianity. It's an interesting read, Rambam chapter 11 of uh, the Laws of Kings. But in chapter 12, he says, do not presume that in the Messianic age, any facet of the world's nature will change or there will be innovations in the work of creation. The world is not going to, 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 to be different in, a, in terms of the nature of the world, in terms of the physics of the world. Um, rather, the world will continue according to its pattern. Although Isaiah, Yeshaya states, the wolf will dwell with the lamb, the leopard will lie down with the young goat. 
says the Rambam, this is debated, but this is the opinion of the Rambam. This, I, these words are a metaphor and a parable. Um, animals will still eat each other, basically. Um, the, the wolf is not going to be hanging out with the lamb. The interpretation of the prophecies as follows. Israel will dwell securely together with wicked Gentiles who are likened to a wolf and a leopard. So, so even those, those nations who, who have sought to destroy us, become Mashiach, we will uh, be able to dwell amongst them. And then later he says, the sages and the prophets did not yearn for the Messianic era in order to have dominion over the entire world, to rule over Gentiles, to be exalted by the nations, or to eat, drink, and celebrate. That's not the purpose of the coming of the Messiah. Rather, they desire to be free, to involve themselves in Torah and wisdom without any pressures or disturbances that they would merit the world to come, as explained in Hilchot Tshuva. So very important line here. Um, so they desire to be free to in, be, and, and at peace and uh, to involve themselves in Torah and wisdom without any pressures or disturbances. Why? So that they would merit the world to come. So you use the days of Mashiach to merit Olam Haba, the world to come. In that era, there will be neither famine or war, envy or competition. Um, and by competition, I, I just note in the Hebrew, it's, uh, sorry, no, he says it already, right? Neither famine nor war. There won't be milchama. There won't be war. There won't be envy or competition. For good will flow in abundance and all the delights will be freely available as dust. So, you know, even though it's, the nature of the world will continue, but everything will be, I guess, growing in a way that it's just, you know, what we need is available in abundance and, uh, and uh, we won't have to work for our food, etc. Um, the occupation of the entire world will be solely to know God. Therefore, the Jews will be great sages and know the hidden matters, grasping the knowledge of their creator according to the full extent of human potential. Um, as Isaiah states, the world will be filled with the knowledge of God as the waters cover the ocean bed. Um, and uh, as we're going to see in the, in the next source, and, and other nations will now come and want to learn God's ways, God's Torah from the Jewish people. But uh, what we have so far is the nature will continue as is, but we will be at peace. We will deal securely amongst the nations. Um, we will um, we will have a king over over Israel that uh, um, other nations will also um, gather under. And he doesn't say that here, but uh, but I believe that's said elsewhere. Um, and and also he says there will be no famine, no war, um, and uh, goodness will be freely available. Whatever we need. Um, Will the delights of the world the, 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 to, to, to support ourselves will be like available like dust. And then in the laws of Chuva, the Rambam says, again, a similar idea. He says, for these reasons that he's about to state, all Israel, and in particular, their prophets and their sages have yearned for the Messianic age. Why? So they can rest from the oppression of Gentile kingdoms who do not allow them to occupy themselves with Torah and mitzvahs properly. They will find rest and increase their knowledge in order to merit the world to come. Again, in order to merit the world to come, we'll be in this state of, of peace, of tranquility, where we can focus on our growth, on our connection to Torah and to God. 
In that year of knowledge, wisdom and truth will become abundant. Isaiah states, the earth will be full of the knowledge of God. These changes will come about because the king who will arise from David's descendants will be a greater master of knowledge than Solomon and a great prophet close to the level of Moses, our teacher. Therefore, you teach the entire nation and instruct them in the path of God. So the Mashiach is not just going to be a king, but he's going to be a great prophet and a master of Torah who will be able to instruct us and guide us in Torah. And all the Gentile nations will come to hear him. As Isaiah states, it shall come to pass in the last days that the mounting of God's house shall be established at the peak of the mountains, and all the nations shall flow to it. So everybody will come and learn. And, uh, and that's the Messianic age. And he just concludes, nevertheless, the ultimate of all reward and the final good, which will have no end or decrease, is the life of the world to come. It's not, that's not the end game. The days of Mashiach are not the end game. There's def different opinions in the, in the Gemara as to how long that era is supposed to last. But, uh, but that, that time is not the end. The ultimate of all reward, he says, is after that um, is eternal life in the world to come. And uh, in contrast, his messianic age will be life within the context of this world, with the world following its natural pattern, except that sovereignty will return to Israel. According to the Rambam, I believe, in the days of Mashiach, people can die and uh, people will be born and the world will go on. It will just be in this tremendous state of, uh, of, of um, spiritual, spiritual heights of, of peace and freedom and uh, the ability to just focus on, uh, on Torah and our connection to God. Um, so that's just a, a basic, basic description um, of what we, what, you know, what the Rambam feels he could put down on, on paper of what we know. Coming back to the idea for a moment of the Maharal, the Maharal says that, the, that Yom Tov is the days of Mashiach. So before we come back to that and Shabbos and Erev Tavshilin, but Ramosha Shapiro, he says that, well, if Yom Tov is supposed to represent the days of Mashiach, there must be something in the days of Yom Tov that symbolizes and represents the days of Mashiach. And he says, you know, when we speak about Yom Tov, we really say what we really mean, although it's true for other holidays, well, Rosh Hashanah too, but we really mean the, the Shalosh Regalim, the three festivals of Pesach, Shavuos, and Sukkot. And within these three holidays, he says, we should find the sort of the taste of the days of Mashiach. And he has a lengthy class, lengthy shir that I listen to where it's very deep and hard to say over or understand. But the, the basic idea, I think we can uh, intuit on our own um, on a, just a basic level. When we look at those three holidays, we can find within them this, the taste of what the Rambam describes here as uh, what will be in the days of Mashiach. You know, so start with the, uh, Start with Pesach, Passover, the holiday of freedom, the freedom from Mitzrayim, from Egypt, the freedom um, from oppression, the freedom from the rulership of other kingdoms, restricting what we can do. That's that we find that in the description of Mashiach of the Rambam, right? We find uh, exactly that. In the days of Mashiach, will be will be. Uh, will ha have, uh, how does he say it? Um, 
In, in chapter, in the second source, the Rambam, Lazar Tshuva, chapter 9, in uh, number 2, he says it's, why have all the sages and prophets, everybody yearned for Mashiach, so they can rest from the oppression of Gentile kingdoms who do not allow them to occupy themselves with Torah and mitzvahs properly, they will find rest, etc. That's, uh, that's, that's represented by Pesach, the freedom from Mitzrayim, the freedom from Egypt. Um, if we skip to Sukkis for a moment, so Ramosha Shapiro mentions the, the idea of ufros aleinu sukkah right? We say in our prayers, our evening prayers that uh, of actually of Shabbos and of holidays, God should spread upon us his sukkah of peace, his canopy of peace. There's a connection between sukkists and being at peace. Um, he doesn't mention this, but I think it's relevant, right? On sukkists, we bring 70 offerings throughout sukkists on behalf of the 70 nations, there's this idea of peace between the Jewish people um, within ourselves, but also within our, with the other nations on, that's represented by, by Sukkos. Um, and, uh, you know, certainly the, um, the, the idea that we have what we need um, is, uh, is, is an idea we focus on on Sukkos as well. So these these ideas of 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 having whatever we need and and uh, and and the peace of, of expressed on the holiday of Sukkot. So that's the that that's the peace of the times of Mashiach. And then finally we have Shavuos, the giving of the Torah, and uh, many connections here. You know, certainly the the focus on Torah, the the focus on uh, on on learning Torah and connecting to God that uh, that we'll be able to achieve in the days of Mashiach. But even more, we know we're taught that at the times of, of uh, at the giving of the Torah, as a people, we returned to the state of what we call Adam Harishon Kodam Hachet, Adam, first man before his sin. So before Adam's sin, um, the the Yetzir Hara, the evil inclination, was limited in a sense. Um, additionally, it uh, we, we had everything we need in the Garden of Eden, and they actually returned to this state at the time of the giving of the Torah until the Jewish people sinned with the golden calf. And so the, 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 the holiday of, of, of the giving of the Torah of Shavuos is, is, is this concept of returning to our state of, of Adam before the first sin, and that is a level that we will attain in again in the days of Mashiach, like the Ramam describes you know, that, you know, food will be freely available um, and, uh, and we'll, we'll be able to focus on our spiritual growth. He doesn't speak as much about the idea of the Yetzir Hara, of the evil inclination being taken from us, but that we find in other commentaries, the, the Torah itself alludes to this. The Torah says that uh, at, when God brings in the, the exiles, it says that God will circumcise your hearts. Um, and, uh, and what this means is exactly this. It says, it says God will circumcise your hearts and the hearts of your, um, of your offspring to love God with all your heart and with all your soul. And the Ramban explains that that is this idea that the Yetzir Hara, the evil inclination, will be limit, will be circumcised, so to speak, it will be removed from us, 
and uh, and we'll be able to focus and seek God without distraction, without uh, temptation in the times of Mashiach. However, if there is not going to be a Yetzir Hara, an evil inclination in the times of Mashiach, so it would seem, at least at first glance, that our opportunity to earn reward, to earn connection with God, to earn a world to come, should be taken away from us. Because what is the whole purpose of the Yetzir Hara? The purpose of the evil inclination is to test us um, so that we can earn our connection to God. If uh, our, our reward in the world to come, if it was given to us freely, it wouldn't be as uh, as pleasurable as if we earn it. That's why God says you should earn it. That's the whole purpose of the Yetzir Hara. So, so if the times of Mashiach, there's no Yetzir Hara, so it would seem that it's not really a chance to earn our place in the world to come anymore. But we saw the Rambam says that that's the whole purpose. I mean, why, otherwise, what is the purpose of, of times of Mashiach if, if we can't use it to, to continue to grow spiritually? If you look at the last source on page three, it's the Gemara. The Gemara says, it was also talking of Raisa. Rabbi Shem ben says, perform mitzvahs while you still find opportunities and you have the means and you are still under your own control. Um, and King Solomon also sagging his wisdom. Remember your creator in the days of your youth before the, boy, they translate it. Yeah, before the evil days come and the years arrive when you will say, I have no desire for them. It's a verse in Kalaos and Ecclesiastes. And the Gemara explains, Rabbi Shimon ben Elazar explains, the evil days, these are the days of old age. You know, accomplish while you're young, before you get too old and you can't do as much. And the years arrive when you will say, I have no desire for them. What does that refer to? These are the days of Mashiach in which there is neither merit nor liability. That uh, the, 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 day, the days that I have no desire for them are days where there's no merit and no chova. There's no merit and no liability, the days of Mashiach. That's what the Gemara says. It's difficult, Gemara, to understand what that means. But again, this question, so if there's no merit and no obligation, there's no being tested in the days of Mashiach. So what is the purpose of the time of the days of Mashiach? If there's no Yetzir Hara, so what's the purpose of it? So the this is where we come back to the Maharal. And this is where we're going to come back to the Erev Tavshilin. The Maharal says that when the Gemara says that the days of Mashiach have no zechus, no chance for merit, and no chova, no liability. What it means is that you can't, somebody who doesn't have a world to come, they've lost their portion, they're not going to get it, they can't earn it in the days of Mashiach. And somebody who um, who has a world to come, they're not going to lose it because that's you're not gonna, just not going to happen in the days of Mashiach. There's no reason why anybody would lose their portion in the world to come. But we're going to focus on the first part. You, if you don't yet have a portion in the world to come, if somebody lost it, if they were a Russia, if they were wicked and they don't have a portion in the world to come, in the days of Mashiach, they're not going to be able to earn it. It's too late, he says. In the days of Mashiach, it's, it's, you're not testing anymore. You, uh, you, you see the truth. You see, you see how, uh, how the, you know, the followers of Torah are, uh, are, are, are wise and, and, uh, 
and respected. And, and at that point, it's not a test to, to, to anymore. So, uh, so, so that's what the Maharal says. What it means is that you can't change your status, but what it doesn't, what it, what it is not saying, and rather on the other hand, he says, what you still, you can do is you can still add. You can still build, you can increase, you can build on, in the days of Mashiach, you can build on what you've already established. Um, <clears throat> that, and that's the purpose of it. When we say the purpose is to earn it, like the Rambam said, to earn a greater connection to the world to come, what, it's an opportunity that, that you know, we, should, we should all merit to build on what we have already created here in the in the in the world as is in the world we are where we are more tested it's a blessing it's a gift from god that says you did great now i'm almost going to give you a chance to to to, to a freebie almost you know i'm going to give you days of mashiach where it's easy you worked so hard to get here i'm going to give you a chance to to grow even more um in the messianic era that's what it's about but it's unique to that generation who who merits to see the days of Mashiach. And perhaps like I meant like I said in passing, there may be some who merit resurrection. Great, great, uh great tzaddikim, the great righteous people may merit resurrection even the day before the days of Mashiach. Says the Maharal, I hope you, you can stick with me for the last couple minutes. Says the Maharal that this is the idea, the deeper idea of the era of Tavshilin. Shabbos is the world to come. Once you get to Shabbos, you can't prepare anymore. Once you're in the world to come after the days of Mashiach, you can't prepare anymore. That there's no there's no cooking on Shabbos. Um, you have to do it all in advance. You have to do it during the week. What about the days of Mashiach? Says the Maharal, the days of Mashiach are Yom Tov. On Yom Tov. When Yom Tov precedes Shabbos, so you can't start cooking for Shabbos on Yom Tov, right? You can't just start from scratch. Just like we said in the days of Mashiach, if a person wasn't righteous before, they can't start from scratch. There's no, there's no zechus. There's no merit in the days of Mashiach. You, if, if a person was wicked before, they can't start from scratch come the days of Mashiach. You can't start preparing for Shabbos for the world to come on Yom Tov, on, on, during the days of Mashiach, you're not allowed to prepare for Shabbos on Yom Tov. The only way that you could is if you started preparing before Yom Tov, before Shabbos. If you started cooking your meals for Shabbos, if you made an Erev Tavshilin and you started cooking your meal for Shabbos before Yom Tov, so then come Yom Tov, you're allowed to add to that to prepare for your Shabbos. That's the idea of Mashiach and Olam Haba in the world to come. If you, if you wait until Mashiach comes and then try to start preparing for Shabbos, we say it's too late. You can't prepare for the world to come once Mashiach comes. It's too easy. It's too obvious. It's too clear. But if we start preparing before, as long as we start preparing for the world to come, while we're still here during the weekday, and we make our Erev Tavshilin, we start that, that process, we prepare our foods for the world to come, we, pre- we prepare ourselves, so then, even in the days of Mashiach, even on Yom Tov, we'll be allowed to add to that and build on that, we'll be an opportunity to build on that and increase our connection to God 
in preparation for that ultimate Shabbos, in preparation for that Olam Haba. So this is a tremendous uh, novel outlook on the Erev Tavshilin, right? Totally out of left field um, that the Maral comes up with. And, uh, and, and um, it just gives us a, a deeper understanding in the Erev Tavshilin, first of all, but also in this connection between Yom Tov and Shabbos, Shabbos being the world to come, Yom Tov being the, representing the days of Mashiach. So uh, as we conclude, I leave us with a blessing. We should all merit to see those days of Mashiach, spiegeling our days and experience that great opportunity to, uh, to increase our merits. Um, we should continue to prepare, to make our Erev Tavshilin, to prepare while we're still in the, in the, in the weekdays here. Um, but we should merit to experience those times of Mashiach, experience the opportunity to grow exponentially so that we can uh, get closer to God and experience the greatest uh, experience in the world to come. Amen. Very nice. Thank you. Thank you.